Amen. Well, once upon a time, there was a princess who lived in a castle, locked away when a dragon emerged from its long slumber. Oh, wait, that's uh, not today's story. All right. Uh, a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, the Millennium Falcon was flying over Tatooine. Oh, okay. No, dang it. Uh, still, still not the right story. Once upon a time, there were three bears who lived together in a house of their own in a wood. <laughs> I'm not getting it. All right, all right, all right. Last one. All right. All children, except one, grow up. Anyone know that one at home? You, you know that story? All right. <laughs> great story. <laughs> these, are, these are some great stories out there. Fantastic ones. Peter Pan, Cinderella, Beauty and the Beast, Star Wars, comic books, movies, classics, fairy tales. They're, they're all full of these stories that begin in some fantastical ways. Once upon a time, and it, and it just draws you in. You're, you're now in fairy tale land. Uh, in, in stories, you can be anywhere. Like the book transports you to England. Uh, th this one takes you to another galaxy. They, they hook you with this great one-liner. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And you're hooked, right? You can just, you can just check out and be entertained. <laughs> but, but what if the greatest story ever told wasn't just a story? What if the greatest story that begins with the greatest line ever is actually true? It's not just entertainment value, it's real. And so today we are kicking off our new series and we are going back. We're going way back <laughs> to the beginning, to the, to the foundations of the world and, and to the very first book in the Bible, Genesis. And that's what that word means, beginning. And so this is the ultimate origin story, right? Genesis describes how it all began, this was the original plan. Genesis describes who God is, how the world got here, how the, our world operates today. And what I want us to all see that, that this story that we're going to read through this series oh, is our story. I've got to give my watch away. <laughs> so as we study Genesis, we're studying our story, how we got here, how life is ordered, What's up? What's down? What's north? So if you've ever wanted to ask the hard questions about the deep secrets of the universe, like you have to go through the book of Genesis to get there. If you're a skeptic and you want to know more, uh, or if you're just following Jesus and you want to cement why you believe what you believe, like we need to go back, way, way back to the very beginning of the foundation of the world to lay the foundations of our faith. And so as we look at this book, we're going to look at creation. We're going to look at care of creation. We're going to look at the Imago Dei, how God created us. We're going to look at original sin, relationships, corruption, murder, Covenants, mass genocide, blessings, curses, stairways to heaven, lions, tigers, and bears. Oh my, it's all in there. And so today, I don't want us to cover a whole lot because the very first three verses are just jam-packed full of content. And so we're, we're kicking off our series by looking at the three things this morning in three verses. And so three verses, three points, here they are, God, love, light. 
I'll say that again, God, love, light. And I was so tempted to make my alliteration work to do Lord, love, light. But I, it's probably a good thing that I don't rename the God that gives himself uh, him, that word in the holy word. And so <laughs> we'll go with that. God, love, light. Um, now, now, this passage kicks off, as I said, with the best opening line in any story ever. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, literally the opening line in Hebrew is Bereshith bara Elohim. Bereshith is the beginning. Bara is to create, and this is exclusively used for God's creative activity. And Elohim is the plural name, plural form of the general universal name for God. And it's translated in the beginning, God. And then it goes on to describe what God does in creating the heavens and the earth. But in the beginning, God. The pastor James Montgomery Boyce who asks, how many in our day regularly think about God? And, and he emphasizes regularly and, and, and emphasizing God and, and judging by the church's own actions, its own programs, I would suggest, he says, that one in a hundred regularly think about God. Like even in a sermon, we only think about God and how the sermon serves our needs or answers our pressing issues, who we think should actually be listening to this sermon. Oh, they should hear this. How this sermon is being perceived amongst the people around us, even right now. Like, we, do we actually think about God? Do you get that? Even when we're in church, even when we're singing or listening to a sermon, are we truly considering the Almighty? Are we asking, who is this? Are we rightly seeing ourselves in the presence of the most powerful, all-consuming God? Where, where he says things like to Moses in Exodus 3, 5, where he says to Moses, Do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. I mean, is that how we think of God? Or, or are our thoughts too human? That was Martin Luther's critique of Erasmus, that, that his thoughts were too human, that he boxed God into only human terms because the only way to understand God is if we limit him. And so have we lost this sense of majesty, of his divine presence, to draw inwardly and meet with God with adoring silence, to be still and know that I am God? Is, is that too hard for us today? The first sentence of the Bible and the subject of the first sentence in the Bible is God this morning. In the beginning, God. And this means that in the way the scriptures kick off everything is it shows the centrality of God. In the beginning, God. It, if, there's, if there's one thing the Bible tells us right off the bat, it is that it is all about God. It is not all about us. Now, some scientists call our solar system heliocentric. Helios is sun, uh, and that means that the sun is the center of the galaxy in the Milky Way. Now, there's actually a giant supermassive black hole actually at the center of our galaxy, and from it we get gravity that keeps planets and the sun in its position, and I could really geek out going into the, the cool nature of black holes and what they actually do if you're going to time travel and things like that. It's fascinating, but <laughs> in our little neck of the woods... 
planets and moons do actually ro- rotate and orbit around the sun. So in that sense, we, we are heliocentric, sun-centered, and the sun gives us light, and without it, nothing would live. The sun is essential in our galaxy. Everything lives because of it. Now, now for some of years, you probably read this in history books, many people thought that the earth was the center of the universe. That's geocentric, not heliocentric. And so we, we all think that's silly now, right? It's just assumed um, that that's, that's dumb. But there was a very, many people believed that the earth was the center of everything and that everything rotated around us. And I think one of the big problems we have today in the church is that we have made the same kind of mistake about the spiritual nature of our universe. We tend to be egocentric. Ego means I, that everything revolves around me. How does, it, how does this message reach me? How does, how does, this, how does music reach me? Um, how, how is it speaking to me? We, we want a God who revolves around us, a Bible that revolves around us, a religion that revolves around us. And we ra- we, we'd rather Genesis say, in the beginning, man or woman. Well, the Bible has news for you. It's not all about you. Life is not egocentric. It is theocentric. That God is the center of our existence. He is like the sun of our solar system. It all revolves around God, not us. In the beginning, God. And that is just glorious news. Back, back in, the, in the 80s, there was a guy named Rick Warren who wrote a book that became a bestseller, um, The Purpose Driven Life. People like it and dislike it for various reasons. But, but I'll say one thing. It has one of the great opening lines of, of, of a book on its own uh, that gets right to the heart of the matter. Uh, and its very first words are, it's not about you. And, and I just think this is one of the most freeing and liberating things in the universe. That it's freeing to know that it's not about you. That things don't revolve around you, what you think and what you want. That's too great of a burden on you. What's most comfortable and best for you? Just like there, there were a lot of things in this earth that didn't make sense until we realized that the sun was the center of the universe. So, so there, are, there are a lot of things in our life that we will never get right in, in our marriage, in our family, in our job, in our world until we understand that life does not revolve around you, that we are not the center of the universe, but God is. And we will never really get those things right in any of those areas in our life until we put God back in the center or we see him as he is back in the center where he's supposed to be. And so because it says the beginning and it kicks off with God, there, there, are, there are many massive implications to that. We just talked about one, but let me say two more things about this, that, that God, Elohim, is in the beginning. Now, first, God is eternal. And this is, this is absolutely wild. That, that God stood on the other side of start. Like never was there a point where God did not exist. Before the clock started ticking stood God. Isn't that weird to think about? Psalm 92 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. Like isn't that just wild that, that God does not have a birth date? He doesn't have an expiration date either. He is the great I am. He always is. He always existed for he has life in himself. Life is not a a gift given to him. 
He gives life. Life is from God. And so I just love having these conversations with my kids or with, with anyone else who, and saying, who made you? Well, God. And what else did God make? All things. But they, some people usually ask, but who made God? Everyone wants to know what happened first. And, and next week we'll get more into creation. But even the question, what happened first, is insufficient. Because for God, there was no beginning. There was no first. He just always was and is. Like, can you imagine a world without time? Just try. Does your brain start to hurt a little bit on that one? <laughs> God invented time. There was no before. God always existed. And so... It's just wild. But the, another implication of God uh, in the before, or maybe better stated, in the pre-existent beginning, before time existed, is that God is self-sufficient. Now, that means that God is, is whole. He lacks nothing. Um, before anything was created, he was free and independent. And so we don't read that you know, God was needing to create. God does not need uh, to eat, to work, to sleep. But, but the awesome mystery is that he chose to create to fellowship with mankind, but why? If this is who God is, if God is self-sufficient and awesome, why did he create you and me? Now, some of us think God was twiddling his thumbs and was like, ah, I'm so needy. <laughs> I'll, I'll create human beings to fill the time. I'm bored. Like, no, <laughs> blasphemy. Uh, <laughs> again, we, we love to put humanly ideas on God. For, for any of those things to make sense, we have to put these humanly ideas on him. But look at how scripture describes God in other areas. In 1 Kings 8, 27, it says, But will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house that I have built? Or Isaiah 40, 22, it says, It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers. <laughs> this God is other. That, that's what our word holy means. It means other. It means sacred. Not just morally holy, but, but of a different substance. That God is transcendent. He is above. And, and much more powerful than we've ever tamed him to be. I mean, Isaiah 40 says, Whom then will we liken God? Isaiah 55, My thoughts are not your thoughts. God is just infinite. He's eternal. He's self-sufficient. And we need to approach Genesis and the Bible in a theocentric, not egocentric way. Because why? Because if we keep reducing God to our level, we will keep offering half-hearted praise, half-hearted confession, half-hearted offerings to him. But if he is preeminent, then we respond to his holiness properly. However, if you only see God as mighty and only powerful, you could be quite discouraged. I mean, if, if, if all we ever described God as was, was the one who could create worlds, who could change reality, who could stop and start time, then who does that sound like? It almost sounds like you're describing Thanos with his infinity stones, right? Who truly was powerful, but massively, massively evil. So that's not the type of God I, I would want to approach. Yes, he's mighty, but will he murder me? Like, <laughs> we need to wonder, is that how the Bible begins? But that's no, to be clear, that's not the picture Genesis gives us in verse 1. 
Because we see in the beginning that God is actually love. Where do we see that? Well, first, as we said in the beginning, God, Elohim, which is the plural name for God. But even if you missed that plural name for God, it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's a picture of of everything from the heavens, from the top to the bottom. Uh, So everything in between. And then, the, and then verse 2 says in Genesis 1, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Right here at the beginning, we get the picture not of Thanos all by himself creating worlds. We get Elohim, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit before the foundations of the earth. We, we get insight into what the theologians have called the Trinity, that there is one God in three persons. And so you have, you have God the Father, and then you see the Spirit hovering over creation. It's such a beautiful image. And, and the only time that word's ever used hovering elsewhere in the Bible is in Deuteronomy 32, 11. It says, like an eagle that stirs up its nest that flutters or hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. And so the picture is God is like a mother bird fluttering over her creation, caring for it as a mother cares for her children. I mean, this is just a beautiful, beautiful image of how God is caring for you, for his creation. And then you might say, okay, I get God the Father. I see the Spirit reference but where's the sun? Well, go back. The, the earth was without form and void. It, it was tohu and bohu is the Hebrew there. And we see God shattering the tohu and the bohu by his word. I mean, look how, how effortless God's creation is. He speaks, and as we sung, and a hundred billion galaxies appear, right? Until God spoke, nothing existed. That's what, that's what theologians got, say, that God created ex nihilo, meaning from nothing. He is speaking acts. His speech creates galaxies and supernovas. Did you know that there are 352 quintillion gallons of water in the world? And his speech creates it. Boom, let there be, and it was. God speaks, and the physical comes forth by verbal fiat. And if, if we were to go to the New Testament in John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning, and just like if I said once upon a, you would know to say time. You are trained, your minds have, have been trained over time that you know that that's what's going to come next. And you've heard that beginning over and over and over. And so the people of God have also heard something like that. They, w- they would hear in the beginning, God, Elohim. But John veers in John 1.1, and instead of once upon a time, he says once upon a word, in a a way. John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then John makes clear later that that the word is Jesus. John makes clear, if, if maybe it was unclear, that Jesus was with God in the beginning, and Jesus was God creating and speaking and blasting fires and winds and matter into existence. And so in the beginning, before creation was ever created, you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit existing 
And this doctrine of the Trinity, that, that we have one God and three persons, reveals to us that God is relational. That relationships and love in relationships are primary. Power isn't primary. The relationship in love is primary. I mean, the sheer fact that you don't have division in the Trinity, that one person is trying to supersede or vie for a greater position within the Godhead reveals the very essence of how the universe and God works. To have a mutual love for one another, trying to outserve and outcare for one another. I mean, it invites us into to see a deep magic that this is God, Elohim, three in one, in relationship and with love. In love, God's first act is to create. And again, we're going to save most of the creation discussion for next week. But one thing we want to say, the very first thing God does when he speaks into the nothing, he speaks into it light. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, our brains just can't even comprehend how radical this is. Just like it feels impossible to imagine a time when there was no time, everything seems to have had a beginning. It, it feels impossible to imagine nothing. Now, now, we're about to get real philosophical here. Um, but before we do, let, let's bring it down to a lower level, and maybe we can, we, can, we can get it here. Can you imagine nothing? Can you just try to think about nothing? I want everyone to, to do this with me. Everyone take a second and just close your eyes. Go ahead. I know it's awkward. Keep them closed. I'm keeping mine open to watch you. Um, now, now, with your eyes closed, with those eyes closed, how many of you see light? Go ahead and raise your hands. How many of you actually see light creeping through? Now, how many of you see darkness? Okay. How many thought you were looking at nothing? All right, you can open your eyes. Now, whether you saw light or you saw darkness, think about that. Light and darkness are something. There was a time when there was nothing. What? I mean, can you see nothing? How do you see nothing? Light and darkness are something. One thing we have to consider is with this self-sufficient, eternal, all-powerful, and relational God is why is there something instead of nothing? Why create you and me at all? Why create? The Genesis story is our story. Where did you come from? Who made you? Why were you made? It's all packed in here. And the first thing God created was light. Into the existence, he said, let there be something. Let there be light. He creates both light and darkness. And this is the power of the Lord. But here's a question we have to deal with. On day one, God creates light. Yes, we just read that, day one. But the sun and the moon aren't created till day four. Well, that, that's a conundrum, right? Let there be light, and boom, light breaks into the darkness. And yet on day four, God creates a giant star that gives heat, and our earth is the third rock from the sun, right? But, but what light does God create on day one if he creates the sun later? What was the most important thing for God to get done on day one? That he said, I have to create day one. Well, the old rabbi said that light was the effulgent splendor of the divine glory. It was the radiance that emanates from the Elohim. 
And this isn't just something that these rabbis pulled out of thin air. Uh, we can go back from the first book in the Bible to the very last book in the Bible to see how it all ends. And we get this picture in the new heavens and in the new earth. And John, that, that beloved apostle, is, is writing again in Revelation 21. And he says in verse 23, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Oh, Do you see the love and power of our creator? He will be our light. He will be our lamp. Oh, it's such a beautiful verse. I love that verse. Now, now light and dark are are these evocative words in Hebrew. Your mind might immediately go to Star Wars, you know, light, darkness, good, evil. But, But again, God created the light and the darkness. And so it's not that. But in scriptures, we see that symbolism of light and darkness in 1 John 1, 5, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. That light symbolizes God, and he will be our light, and darkness evokes everything that is anti-God. That dark, darkness is, is wicked in the Proverbs. Darkness falls in the land in Exodus as judgment, or even as the symbol of death in the Psalms. And so, not only does God become our light in the new heavens and new earth, not only did he originally fill the earth with his effulgent splendor and create the sun and millions of other suns later on day four, We should also consider that creation is a paradigm for the creation of the Christian. That when he speaks light into the world, he speaks light into the Christian. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's leave that verse up there for a little bit here. That same power that creates something out of nothing creates something out of nothing in you and me. I mean, don't miss that. That that before God spoke into our our lives, there was nothing there. There was no life. Not only are, are you a beautiful creation with God's evidence of his glory in creating you unique and wonderful, but before you accepted Christ, you and I were darkness. If we don't know Jesus, our life is described as dark without hope, dead, anti-God. And the beauty of the work of creation happens all over again when one of God's children comes to life and you are literally spoken into life. And so the same awe that we have over God speaking billions of particles into existence, the same awe that, that we have over those Mars rover photos and seeing all the coolness of God's creation should be given when a child of God comes to faith in believing in Jesus, because now light has shone into our hearts, and that is just a miracle, that my dead heart could beat again. Like, that is a miracle that that something came from nothing. This is a miracle of of a heart of stone, one that is darkened, that is thinking so selfishly, solely egocentric, comes to life, and has not entirely given up its addiction to its own ego, But the daily, the light breaks in and the light kicks the darkness back until it bleeds light. Do you know this God? If your heart is dark and you've never asked God to let the light of Jesus shine in, I pray that you ask that here today. Because yes, he's not Thanos, but God is not the normal image that we sometimes like to think of him as just a sweet old nice uh, guy, this is Elohim, 
who blasts supernovas into creation by saying, let there be light. He loves you enough to see your situation, to see how dark your heart is and, and lives uh, as, as a rebel and the ways that we're egocentric. And he steps into his creation to die for it, to die for you. Do you want to know that God? Well, the good news is that as people of Easter, we don't believe that he stayed in the ground. That God raised Jesus from the dead and he beat death and the light burst forth from the tomb is enough to bring you and me to life too. Hallelujah. Can I get an amen at home? And for those of you who have been brought to life, who have seen the light come in, maybe today you, you, you feel like you've cheated on God and like that you've backslid over the past year. Maybe you felt like you've been backsliding for the past five years. I mean, look at this blinding light that shines light into all of our sins. He also shines light on the work of Christ on your behalf. Let's see that clearly too. I think the Christian typically falls into two great errors. On one hand, we forget God's transcendence, his otherness. We forget that and we make God into just a buddy, my bestie. And we forget how awesome and mighty he is. Are our thoughts too human, too self-oriented? Consider the ways that you've tamed God into being your personal butler instead of the creator of the universe. But on the other hand, we may forget his transcendence on one end, but on the other hand, we typically forget his eminence as well, his closeness and his care for us. We don't answer the question of why something instead of nothing. We make God too otherly, like a boss we can't approach. Genesis 1 in the story of the Bible is that we have a God who could have done anything, and yet he chose to create and light our way to love you and me. The God of Genesis is both transcendent and imminent. He's both holy and loving, both matchless and merciful. And his creation in Genesis gives us these these tracings of the picture. But the gospel gives us the full brushstrokes to his love for you. His law is too perfect to just brush sins under the rug, but his love is too committed to just discard you. In the cross, we have love and justice commingling down. Hallelujah. It is a beautiful picture of both his, his transcendence and his eminence. You see, his, his imminence makes his transcendence comforting. And his transcendence makes his imminence amazing. <laughs> the gospel in Genesis leads us to both awe and intimacy. Don't neglect either. Be awed by the Elohim, but be invited into this intimate relationship with him as well. Y'all, I, I'm excited about this Genesis series and unlocking the mysteries of the universe with you. <laughs> Run to this creator and may he create and keep creating a new heart in you today. Would you pray with me?